welcome to the Back on Track Fitness Podcast, where we answer the tough questions on running, weightlifting, and general fitness. Hosted by Dr. Cameron Dennis and Dr. Eric May, physical therapists. Be sure to check us out at backontracktherapy.com for training programs and other resources. Now, let's get to the show. Hey guys, this is Dr. Cameron Dennis, and in this interview, I talked to Dwayne Scotty, who's a physical therapist specializing in dance and gymnastics. We really dig into the most common causes of injuries in these populations. So hopefully you learned something and either yourself or your young athlete can avoid a potentially season or career-ending injury. Thanks for listening. Uh, you're in the running group though, correct? Correct, yeah. Correct, yeah. And I was looking at a lot of your different stuff and it seems like you're a pretty busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> I am, yeah. No, I definitely like to... Uh keep my hands in a lot of different things um <laughs> yeah so i am a full-time faculty member in dpt program um and then started kind of the private pay model um business really looking at you know main niches of kind of runners dancers gymnasts um just because i saw a need in those areas and with me being a runner myself you know and that's how kind of we connected i saw your group and i think you're doing some great things Thank you. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, awesome what you're doing with the uh, Facebook group there and just getting the word out and educating the public. You know, it's important. And I think we need to do more of that as PTs. Sure, absolutely. And that's one reason that, we, that I started it was so that we can maybe advocate a little bit for the profession. Absolutely. I myself can't answer everybody's questions, but we have an army of PTs in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, that's so. definitely beneficial um, to get different perspectives as well. And I know I just, I can't imagine, you know, the time just to try to keep up with all of the messages. And, you right. know, I, I try to I post on a daily basis. So just keeping up with that stuff, you know, I can't imagine some of the other stuff that goes on with uh, the groups. Right. Well, it's it's a lot, but it sounds like you might be just a little tad bit more busy than I am. If we can go into some of that. Yeah. <laughs> So you, uh, just looking at your page, it looked like you're pretty big into gymnastics, dance and dance and running, correct? Yep. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about that? What, what got you into those things and, and, you know, how, how do you fit your training to meet all of those needs, I guess? Um, well, I really started, um, I've been a dancer my whole life. So I danced since I was the age of four, danced throughout, you know, my childhood, college, then I retired um, from dance where I became a physical therapist and went on a 10-year hiatus. And then when I had a daughter and we enrolled her dance school, um, they, you know, found out my wife and I used to dance. That's how we met at dance school. Um, so <laughs> I kind of got back into the dance element of things. And then being a PT, it kind of had a different perspective. And just seeing a lot of the dancers at the dance studio, I started teaching there again. You know, a lot of the girls and wearing knee braces and, you know, having ankle pain and, you know, not really doing anything about it. And then I started, you know, looking into like my clinical world and saying, well, what do they have out there for dancers? So I, you know, got myself more educated, went some dance medicine um, courses in New York City and started up a couple of dance medicine programs in the clinics that I was in and wow. kind of had a passion for kind of filling that need of helping dancers where a lot of PTs out there, a lot of clinicians really didn't feel as comfortable treating in that space. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of grew. And then I started my own, you know, business and practice with that in mind of, of these niche kind of populations. And, 
you know, one daughter is a dancer and the other is a gymnast. And oh, wow. so <laughs> I, I saw, you know, and there's a lot of similarities between dancers and gymnasts and was approached by the coaches um, at the gym to say, you know, can you do some of those services here? We have all of our gymnasts seeing you in the clinic. It gets tough with a lot of the carpools and for their parents to bring them for PT, you know, can they come here for practice and then you can see them there. And then that's how it started with doing wow. some on-site treatment, which actually opens up the avenue for us as PTs to kind of work more from a preventative standpoint, you know, and then also the performance aspect. Um, so there are definitely like dancers and gymnasts that I'll work on preventing injuries and working on specific impairments, whether it's they want to improve their split, um, you know, they want to improve their strength and power and things like that to them having actual pain. And now we're doing rehab, you know, from a specific injury or others that are just wanting to, you know, improve their performance goals. Um, so providing that on site has allowed me to kind of do all kind of three of those elements. Mm -hmm. But it really, I guess, you know, going back to your original question was really kind of stepping in an area that really wasn't being fulfilled. And I've always w loved working with my athletic population and treating a lot of athletes. But honestly, that space is very full. Like every PT treats soccer players, basketball players. Everyone wants to see the ACL reconstruction. Like everyone's fighting for them in the clinic. No right. one's fighting to see like the dancers, you know, in the clinic. So it was really a matter of kind of educating myself in those areas and learning a bit more. And I had somewhat of a dance background, but I wasn't formally trained in ballet ever. So I was more of like a tap dancer about um, partnering work, some jazz, hip hop, but not the formal ballet training, which I needed to educate myself on, mm -hmm. on the, the terminology and the demands of like point work and, you know, things like that, that kind of go into their physical demands as a dancer yeah. and how we can kind of help them out from a PT standpoint. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's great that you're getting out there like that. I think uh, too many PTs and too many healthcare providers are just sitting back and waiting for things to come to them, right? Like, why don't I have patients? Well, I'm sitting here in my office waiting for my patients to show up. Where are they? Well, right. they're out doing dance. <laughs> they're out yeah. doing gymnastics. They're out playing sports and running and, you know, they're at the gym. And uh, mm -hmm. these are the people that, you know, not that others don't, but these people need our help, right? And until we get out there and show that we're more than just the people who do your hamstring stretches, you know, or the mm -hmm. people who helped your grandma, you know, after she had a stroke, you know, exactly. I think PTs in a lot of ways will be stuck sort of in the past, but I think people like you, and, and I'm trying to do this as well, people that are getting out there into the world of sports and athletics, I think that's amazing. That's really going to help the profession and help, help, uh, the the gymnasts and the dancers themselves as well i mean it's a win-win absolutely yeah couldn't agree more and just being able to talk like you as a runner you know if we were talking about like next race or prs or speed work like just being able to talk the lingo of right. like with me being i'm an adult onset runner i call myself you know i've been <laughs> running nine years so actually nine years ago almost to the day i had hip arthroscopy labral tear and mm -hmm. you know my surgeon said I was just running on the treadmill casually in the gym as cardio, you know, before my workouts, never was a runner. And he's like, treadmill's worst thing for your hip. He's like, you got to get outside. And it's, you know, I live in Connecticut. It's pretty cold in January. And, mm. you know, I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And I, I did my first run. I never looked back. Like I loved it. I was like, how did I never do this before? You know, like, this right. is amazing. And, 
you know, kind of took up running as my, you know, sport from, from that point forward. But going back to, you know, learning about dancers, gymnasts, and being able to talk the talk, so to speak, and educate yourself and, and get ingrained in those communities. Um, so for example, like gymnastics world, I, I didn't grow up in the gymnastics world, so I really didn't know. I knew some things about dancers. I knew at a strength and conditioning background. And I'm like, gymnastic practice looks a lot like strength and conditioning. Like, you know, they do a lot of strength and conditioning. So I was like, I can help out here. But just educating myself, like I went to the USAG Congress, you know, where they basically, that's their biggest conference of coaches that kind of come together. Um, And just going to a lot of the educational things and learning more and talking with the coaches, right, on site and asking them questions and saying, this is what I'm seeing from a PC standpoint. What are you seeing from a coaching standpoint? And what do we think about, you know, this girl being ready for the meet this weekend? Or my plan is this. And I think if you actually take it easy on her numbers and, you know, how many reps, so to speak, she's doing with her routines, then she'll be healthy for next week's meet. But if you go and do a full practice today, then the tissues aren't going to be able to heal. Things are going to get more irritable. And then she's not going to be doing next week's practice, um, competition. So right. kind of that education and, and really collaborating with the coaches and really learning like what their lingo is and what are the gymnasts talking about and just knowing some of that terminology helps. And honestly, it helps gain that trust with right. the patient, right? And the athlete. And it's like, oh, well, they actually know what I'm talking about and they know how I'm feeling. And I think that definitely goes a long way. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, so in terms of uh, the actual types of injuries that you see. Um, so I know with most runners that I've seen, it's a lot of repetitious, you know, uh, lack of rest. They're doing the same thing because running is very much, you know, right leg, left leg, right leg, left leg, you know, very little deviation from that unless we're talking surfaces or speed. However, it's still pretty much the same <laughs> mm-hmm. with minor differences, but dance and gymnastics, I imagine are, maybe they have their own set of challenges. So I guess, um, what are the most common things that you see, you know, and, and what do you do in terms of, uh, prevent, you know, from a preventative standpoint? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Uh, the, the good thing for me, um, is that there's actually a lot of similarities in terms of the injuries mm-hmm. for runners, dancers, and gymnasts. So the most commonly, you know, treated area is a lot of ankle foot mm-hmm. and obviously runners with knee and hip stuff. Um, but it's a, a lot of lower extremity. The difference being the gymnast world does have some upper extremity um, stuff that goes on shoulders, elbows, and wrist pain um, just because of the weight bearing they do. But like gymnast, dancers, the most common by far injuries, ankle sprains. So most common injury by far, all the research shows that. Um, the incidents clinically, I see that. Um, so those are very similar in that aspect that, you know, you see a lot of ankle sprains um some achilles issues but not too much because these kids are young not like our runners like our middle-aged runners right they're gonna you know get those achilles issues but more of like the ankle sprains um forefoot sprain like midfoot sprains as well as like in dancers specifically especially if they perform a lot of point work so in kind of those toe shoes is like flexor hallucis longus tendinopathy like mm-hmm. tendinitis is so you start to see more like the actual true tendinitis is that we don't see a lot of in the middle-aged folks Sure. Those are more like degenerative stuff. You actually see some of these acute like tendonitis because these kids are young. Like all the kids that I'm treating are, you know, adolescent age, um, anywhere from, you know, nine years old to 16. 
around there. Um, so you see more, more of that. Definitely some knee pain, especially around 12, 13, 14-year-old um, patellofemoral pain. And a lot of that kind of going back to your question on how do you prevent some of that is really doing like we do with runners, doing a movement analysis. So right. looking at specific, like for dancers specifically, we'll look at them doing what we call plie, which is essentially a squat in different you know, positions. So like in ballet class, they do a lot of work at the bar and they do repetitive, essentially squats in different positions. So their foot's in like first position, second position. So we'll analyze them, do that, and then take a look at what is their alignment. Are they getting a lot of dynamic valgus, right? So is their knee going inward and creating some of that maltracking of you know, the patellofemoral joint? So, and it really goes back to a lot of the hip, you know, strength, looking at their hip strength, um, and then looking at ankle mobility. So ankle mobility is a big thing that can tend, especially with really dancers and gymnasts, a lot of the pounding. So a lot of the jumping, a lot of the leaps um, right. will tend to, a lot of times you'll see like an ankle that's quote unquote locked up or eliminated mobility. And then it's some simple manual therapy techniques that'll improve that and then give them those self-mobility techniques that will help restore that range and get them doing their movement patterns normally um, to kind of help prevent injuries or treat like current injuries or pain that they have. Sure. Sure. So what types of uh, manual things do you show your clients? You know, somebody who's between the age of nine and 16, do you have them do it or is their parent doing it or is it just kind of massage or joint mobs or what, what exactly are we looking at? So there's definitely some, you know, manual therapy techniques that I'll do, whether it's manipulation, joint mobilization techniques, um, soft tissue work. So I do dry needling, um, instrument assisted work, whatever mm -hmm. that, you know, would be what I would do. And then it would be a matter of having them do those self mobility techniques. So whether we're using like a strap or a band to do like mobilization with movement technique, mm -hmm. um, that's very common in the ankle that will, you know, get a good bang for your buck. Um, sure. or, you know, stretches, if it is a muscle length issue. And a lot of times these kids too, when they go through the growth spurt, very common, you know, the muscles don't catch up yet. So they get really, really short. And, you know, for what's different between dancers and runners, and I mean, uh, dancers and gymnasts from the running population, the running population, they don't go through their extreme motions, right, with running. They right. don't, unless they're, you know, a high level sprinter, then they're getting some actual range of motion and need that muscle length. But the artistry of dance and gymnastics requires these extreme ranges of motion. So right. they're going into these extreme splits, leaps, and they need to hit these positions and they're judged on whether or not their lines are there. So their body gets into those positions. So if you have a girl who goes through a growth spurt, right, and she grows, you know, an inch or two, whatever, in a certain amount of time, but her hip flexors or hamstrings don't really catch up and she really hasn't been working on her flexibility, Mm -hmm. then that's when we tend to kind of see dysfunction start and pain start to arise. How much do you feel that the uh, hypermobility of the athletes contributes to issues? So it's definitely a contributing factor. So we do know that like dancers and gymnasts in general, when we're just talking about generalizations here, um, mm -hmm. they are more commonly hypermobile, meaning their joints. So like we'll do like a Bitens test and look at joint hypermobility. And I have two research projects going on right now. And a lot of the subjects in our studies, yes, they're a seven, eight, or nine out of this nine point scale. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times, if they don't focus on stability of the joints, then that can tend to be a problem. 
um, especially around the ankle, leading to kind of those ankle sprains we're alluding to before um, the hip. So sometimes we'll get like snapping hip is a common injury in um, dancers and gymnasts. And then the shoulders, especially in gymnasts with all their bar work, um, they're taking these shoulders through extreme ranges of motion. And it's usually their shoulder joints are very loose. So they have a lot of mobility within the joint. However, because of all the strength and conditioning they do, they do a lot of work on the lats. Like think about like how many pull-ups they can do. These gymnasts are like incredible athletes, right? right? So their pecs and their lats get overdeveloped. And so that soft tissue actually limits their overhead mobility. So then that creates problems in the shoulder joint where they can get impingements. But it's not the fact that the joint is stiff or hypomobile like you might see in you know, a 40 or 50-year-old male who has shoulder impingement syndrome and rotator cuff syndrome. This is more because their shoulder moves so much around the joint, they don't have that control and now they're impinging and they might have soft tissue limitations that's limiting their overhead mobility when they go to do a backhand spring or they're going to do a tumbling pass. So a lot of times it's addressing both the soft tissue mobility, not joint, and then the stability. So kind of getting those stabilizer muscles to kick in around the joint so they can kind of protect that joint as they're doing their activity. So I guess that's where it comes in handy to have somebody like you or you're someone, you know, a PT or someone in there to help sort of transition people, you know, and make sure that they're not putting themselves at, at risk for these injuries. And unfortunately the way that, you know, youth sports is going in our country is it is all specialization and right. it's, it's tough because like parents are kind of, and I'm there, like I'm a parent, you know, of two and, the competitive world, that's how it works is year round nowadays. And yep. in order to be in these competitive programs, you have to actually like compete year round. Um, so in gymnastics, there is like, if you're doing the junior Olympic level and you're kind of on that track and you want to do collegiate gymnastics, then these girls are in the gym for 25 hours a week practicing. Wow. So they're in there for five days a week, um, four hour practices, Saturdays, like six, seven hour practice. Um, so it's a lot and they can't do any other sport. You sure. know, they do have um, different competitive gymnastics like Excel level, which does allow um, some of these athletes to, you know, do three hour practice three days a week, but then maybe play like a school sport, whether it's volleyball or soccer, um, which, yeah, I think in the long term for a lot of these kids, you know, might be better for their bodies <laughs> um, in terms right. of like injury prevention and kind of staying healthy. Um, but Definitely having like a medical provider or a resource to kind of go through and to screen some of these girls and just educate them that pain is not normal and, you know, you shouldn't be working through pain. And, you know, a lot of times I have to educate and intervene because they just have the, you know, the model, no pain, no gain. And it's just all part of gymnastics or it's part of dance and just like deal with it. But then these girls don't understand the future of that, right? So if someone has low back pain, and it's due to instability and spondylolisthesis or lysis, then like that can give them chronic back pain for the rest of their life. Like they don't want to be in their 40s and 50s, you know, with chronic back pain because they just push through the pain that they were feeling, you know, in their childhood and adolescent years. Sure. Yeah. And that the, the first thing I think of when you say that is, um, well, swimming, but then football mm-hmm. will be another big one. Um, and I, don't, I don't treat a lot of football players currently, but the uh, just the amount of people that I've talked to, you know, throughout my life that have said, you know, oh, my knee hurts because of an old football injury, something like that, you know. Yep. 
they're, they are training year round and they train year round around here. Um, swimming, they train year round. So they'll go from like the school swimming to the YMCA swimming to some competitive swimming. And it's, and then half the team has rotator cuff tears and they've had that surgery right. and this and that. And I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> That's right. a huge issue. Yep. So half, half the team's out or swimming through these rotator cuff tears. And, uh, you know, I've even gone as far as talking to the coach about their training volume and things like that. Um, she actually did allow us to train her um, swimmers before the season started um, mm -hmm. to go through some rotator cuff strengthening and um, just to sort of help set them on the right step. But it's, it's almost like a drop of water in the ocean. You know what I mean? Yep. Like if they've been doing this for five years. Exactly. And, and then the other thing is they're, the way that they were training, it's just they would do sprints every single day mm -hmm. in, in the pool. Just sprints, sprints, sprints. And I'm, I'm like, that's, that's just a recipe for a disaster. So um, the other thing I wanted to mention that was interesting, I had an athlete who was um, – she's a young uh, – she was in tumbling, which – you'll have to bear with me. I don't know the difference really between the different types of dance and gymnastics. Um, but that's why I had you on. I want to learn about these things. So. Uh, she was in tumbling, she was in tap dance, uh, she was in some other dance and she was running cross country all at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, um, and she did this, I think she, well, other than running, she was doing it year round and she came in and she was having ankle pain in the front of her ankle and a little bit mm -hmm. of calf pain. And I, I said, A, you're super mobile. <laughs> B, you're super strong. And she was. She was very strong. And I said, you know what you ought to do is back off a little bit. <laughs> you know, people don't like yeah. to hear that. But she, she was literally challenging the same muscle groups in her calf and in, around her ankle so much yeah. that they didn't have a chance to heal. You mm -hmm. know, she was just tearing them up, tearing them up, tearing them up. And they were never given the chance to recover. So she had about maybe two weeks left of uh of cross country season we did some manual techniques to help her be able to tolerate walking and i sort of helped her um change her gait slightly to put a little less strain on the calf complex um mm -hmm. she was having a lot of the pain and that seemed to help she actually ran her pr the final race so that was pretty cool nice but uh, then after cross country i said i think i'd like for you to decide what your goals are like what what long-term is it that you want to do? And you don't have to, you know, pick just one thing, but maybe, maybe pick one to take a short break from, right? I mean, if you're going to run, run a little, but, but not like they were doing. I mean, to do that right. in season with two other dancing right. and gymnastics in season, it's just putting so much stress on her lower extremity and on her legs. And, uh, you know, just by reducing the load that was being placed, over that long period of time fixed the problem so she didn't have to go through all sorts of therapy however if she had continued to do those things long term mm -hmm. you know because um, i think and, and i have a lot of respect for her parents um they're very nice people but i think they just want what's best right they just want what's best for her they want her to succeed and to do well so they say well you need to be doing these things so that you can do better right without realizing that's potentially putting her at risk for future potentially permanent injuries right yeah no absolutely and i think you brought up a good point as far as load management 
and just looking at, you know, training load. And actually there was just a girl that first time ever that I met a competitive gymnast who was in the gym 25 hours a week. And she high school athlete decided to do, um, cross country. And yeah, so <laughs> that was the first time and she had hip pain and I, you know, screened her and then turns out she, you know, I, I did an eval and then we referred out and it wound up being, um, a stress reaction. So to mm -hmm. her bone, um, just because of too much load going on, um, all at once. So if you're doing two like highly demanding kind of competitive sports at the same time, yeah, that's just way too much load that the body's going to be able to handle. Right. Um, so definitely you brought up some good points as far as like load management education, as well as like the conversation you talked about with coaches. Um, I find that's definitely a challenging conversation to have unless you have an established rapport, right? So like the right. gyms that I'm in with coaches, they trust me, I'm there, I'm working with their athletes and they kind of respect my opinion. However, it's hard for you to be seeing like a patient in the clinic and be like, Oh yeah, let me talk to your coach because they feel like you're stepping on their territory. And, you know, right. and unfortunately a lot of coaching and, and sports and athletics is a little bit behind the times in terms of the science mm -hmm. um, with training, strength and conditioning, injury prevention. So that's where like we as PTs need to kind of put ourselves out there and educate. Um, and, the one thing I must say, though, is that these communities really want to be educated. So, like, people actively seek me out, you know, social media, but, um, like, a lot of the gymnastics coaches, dance instructors, dance teachers, they, like, love the content that we can provide them and, like, educate them on how they can keep their dancers or, you know, gymnasts happy because they don't know this type of training. Um, and I find that the younger the younger ones are, are more embracing that, you know, more of the old school coaches and teachers, they do have that old school mentality. And, right. you know, they're stuck in kind of, this is the way it's always been done. That's the way I did it as a kid. And I'm just going to continue it because my coach did that. And there's no real scientific rationale behind some of their, you know, training programs or practices. Like you said, doing sprints every day. Um, you know, th there's no really scientific rationale, but that's where we really need to come in and kind of shift some of the culture um, issues that are going on with youth sports. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, um, personally, what, what does your training look like? What do you, what, what have you been up to? Uh, so personally, yeah, I, I, you know, my normal routine is I'm in the gym doing my strengthening, my prehab exercises three days a week. And then I run about five days a week. Um, I usually like to run three halves a year. Um, I'll run a couple of five Ks here and there. Um, I did one full marathon. Um, so thinking about giving that another, uh, haul at it this October, sure. kind of a little redemption. Cause it's always, you know, the first one you, you're happy you finish, but you know, you think about some of the, maybe the training errors that you made and, you know, getting some cramping at mile 21 didn't feel too good. And you know, <laughs> seeing if I could get, uh, get myself through it without cramping up right the uh the goal see if you can get everything put together exactly you know, for a nice for a nice finish yeah yes now I, now I know i can do the distance so it's just a matter of, and just you know the like the kind of rookie mistakes of just going out a little too fast and you should have um it's, and, it's you a know, process <laughs> absolutely absolutely i've seen that with you know my half marathon times and you know just trying to get better with each each and every one and 
just try to stay, you know, healthy and, and doing what I love to do because honestly exercise and movement is I'm big proponent and, you know, that's, that's what keeps us going, um, helps prevent injury as well as like psychologically, like the mental right. power of exercise is just, you know, every morning I'm up at four 30 and that's how I start my day. And I have such a clear head after I do that and I'm more productive. Um, if there's a day that I didn't exercise for some reason, I, I feel it. I'm sluggish. I'm not as productive. My mind isn't clear. Sure. So yeah, those things are important. Can you talk a little bit about your actual training volume, like you're running and, and what types of exercises are you doing in terms of, you mentioned prehab, you know, what types of exercises are you doing? Yeah. So I, a big proponent of the hip stabilizer. So especially for those that are overpronated like I am, right? So my foot excessively goes in, we overpronate, hip external rotators, the abductors, essential, you know, because we're with running single leg stance, every single step we take. Um, those muscles are anti-pronation muscles, right? So they're going to control some of that excessive mobility because as I alluded to before my hip surgery, I never was a runner because I would always get piriformis syndrome as mm -hmm. well as, sorry, I was just getting a call. Um, sorry. Piriformis syndrome as well as like posterior tibial pain, shin splints, right? Mm -hmm. From that kind of overpronation. It really wasn't sure. until I started dedicating some good strengthening exercises for those glute need the hip external rotators that I really noticed that all those symptoms went away. Um, so that I'm very big fan of, as well as training plyometrically. Running is a plyometric activity. Right. You need to train those muscles plyometrically to withstand the amount of, like we talked about before, load, right? So the amount of pounding ground reaction forces that go through our leg and up the chain, if we're not training our muscles to absorb some of that, then how do we expect them to do that with, you know, increasing your running volume and as you kind of ramp up your mileage for race and adding speed work. So I definitely noticed a difference um, with that and then periodization, right? So, you know, like right now, this is the season where I really start to hit the plyos hard um, before I start really ramping up miles. You know, if I'm running, you know, a race like once a month, let's say, you know, if there's a 5K in there between and I'm doing a lot of the running volume, I'm not training plyometrically in the gym so much. I'm doing more like the prehab stuff. I'm not hitting the plyos hard. I'll, I'll hit that hard now and do a little bit more weight with the strength training, um, you know, during kind of these winter, like three months, basically ramping up to like the first, you know, half in the spring and April time. And then, you know, when I know I'm running a lot of miles per week, and for me, that's like, you know, 30, 35 a week, then I won't do as much pounding and loading, you know, in the gym. Sure. That's smart. Yeah, I think... I think that's the way that we all need to go in that direction. Just be co uh, conscious of how much force we're putting through our legs, how much we're asking of ourselves um, and making sure that we're smart in terms of our periodization and spacing out, you know, our heavy training volume in the gym with our heavy training volume outside when you're running, you know, mm -hmm. just to make sure that you're not increasing it all at once without giving your body a chance to adapt. So right. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, sounds like you're doing everything right. I won't make any changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the other, the other big thing that I noticed the difference with in terms of my results is actually, you know, having easy running days. Right. right. And in the beginning, you know, when I started training, it was every day was a hard day, you know, it was, mm -hmm. and I really noticed the difference having those easy runs and just going at a comfortable pace and then having two runs a week, one's a long run, one's more of a either tempo or speed work and track. 
where you're really, you know, challenging your pace and kind of pushing yourself a little bit more to those limits, as well as even like a recovery week, right? So within right. a four to six week period, have that recovery week where it's only easy runs and you're only doing, you know, three and four mile runs or whatever your short, shorter runs. Um, it's hard because we, we get in that, like, especially runners, we're like type A and it's like, you got to stick to what you always do. But I notice a big difference, you know, when I do that recovery week, I hate doing it because I feel like mm -hmm. I'm taking a step backward. But then the following week, when I, I feel fresh and my legs feel fresh, I'm like, wow, that was really beneficial. <laughs> yep. I always feel stronger that week that I come back because I do the same exact yep. thing. Take a sort of recovery week. Yep. Um, every two months or so, I'll take a recovery week. Um, even from weightlifting, I'll just kind of draw back my volume and, uh, you know, make sure I'm drinking tons of water and eating real good, you know, because, um, you know, that's, that's an area that I need to work on is my nutrition. But Mm -hmm. uh, but I really make sure on those recovery weeks that I really focus on, you know, all of those things, getting all my sleep and everything too. So, um, sounds like we have a lot of similar ideas for, for how we do our training. That's great. Yep. Um, so is there any, is there any, um, last bits of wisdom that you'd like to share or anything, any last thoughts before we close this up? I would just say, you know, for anyone who's listening now, you know, you have more of an active kind of audience is to just stay active. And if you do have pain, you know, seek out the care of a medical professional because you shouldn't be training through pain. And if you actually do that, you might pick up on some reasons why you're having that pain and getting down to that root cause of the problem. And, you know, specifically our profession as PTs, we, we're trained to evaluate those root causes of the problem. And there are some simple solutions, right? So whether it's a manual technique your therapist can do, or it's a specific exercise they can give you that can help, you know, get yourself better from that injury now, and then also prevent it from coming back. Like that's the key is really arming you with the tools to prevent it from coming back. So, you know, seek out your medical professionals, get the help you need, educate yourself, and continue to be active. Beautiful. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so if, uh, where can people find you on social media? Um, so you can find me on, you know, the platforms I'm most active on is Instagram and Facebook at Spark Your Training. Um, website is sparkyourtraining.com. Um, so you can find out about all the services. And I do, you know, do daily posts, just trying to educate the public, um, keep them active and healthy, as well as on blog posts and just started YouTube channel as well. And that's also at spark your training. Great. Perfect. And then your actual clinic is located in Cheshire, in Connecticut. Yeah. So uh, Cheshire Wallingford area. So I have more of a mobile onsite um, clinic where I will go to specific gyms, dance studios. And then I also do home visits in that Cheshire Wallingford, Connecticut area. Great. Okay. And then you're, you said you're an assistant or you're a professor at what's the name? I couldn't pronounce at, it. What's uh, it? Quinnipiac university. Quinnipiac university. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I've seen the name before. I just had never tried to pronounce it in public. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. We're known for our hockey team and our uh, polls. So with the presidential stuff, you'll see the Quinnipiac poll that is very uh, popular. So that's yeah. probably where you've heard it. <laughs> Very good. So yeah, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your wisdom with us. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing all the great things that you're doing out there in Connecticut. Thank you for tuning in to the Back on Track Fitness Podcast. 
We hope you found it helpful. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and check out running and weightlifting programs for athletes of all experience levels at backontracktherapy.com. Links are in the show notes. See you next time.